Chapter 10 Classic rock radio blared out the open doors of the county jailhouse. It was the only station everyone could agree on for the break room. Realistically, over the years, the boys had turned most of the building's rooms into one giant break room. They were all a bunch of lazy fuckheads. College boys still living with mommy and daddy, drinking on the job, pissing in the grass. Dipshits. Arlene Dubois, sheriff of Nottingham, pancake enthusiast, and local fat man, was supposedly in charge of these idiots. But that afternoon, when he arrived to work, it was obvious not a single one of his peons had a drop of respect for his authority. His newest deputy, Reswal Fontaine, was passed out in the front lawn with his pants around his ankles and his dick hanging out the top of his briefs. The trees were strewn with toilet paper, and phallic symbols were drawn everywhere with sidewalk chalk. They led all the way up the steps, each one spraying semen toward the direction of the front doors, which hung wide open for the whole town to gander inside the building meant to hold its criminals. A goddamn disgrace. The stereo, sitting on a ping-pong table in the corner of the office, was playing an Eric Clapton song Dubois associated with a time in his teen years when he tried and failed to lose his virginity to Cassie St. Clair, the homecoming queen. Dubois drew his gun and fired at the stereo, missing it entirely and instead shattering his own 8x10 wedding photo in an explosion of glass and wood. Damn it to hell, he muttered stepping over several empty cans of beer and picking up the broken frame. He'd shot a hole right through his own face. Now a headless tuxedo held hands with his ex-wife in a morbid, ghost-like manner. He threw the picture over his shoulder. Lewis, village idiot, was asleep on a bench in an unlocked cell. The gunshot hadn't even stirred him. It was 1.30 in the afternoon which was Monday morning to most of the sleepy town. But a bad dream had woken Sheriff Dubois in the night and had kept him awake until dawn. It was the first time in years he'd had to wait in the parking lot for Betty to open the doors of the IHOP and let him in for his breakfast. Even after a full stack, a Denver omelet, six donuts, and a mug of hot chocolate, The big guy couldn't shake the sick images from his head. Something was definitely wrong. He'd then gone to the graveyard to visit his mom and ask her for advice on the matter. Little known fact, a loving mother's bond to her only son is stronger than life itself. Though long dead, Dubois' mom still spoke to him in her plain, calm voice. She even ran her fingers through his hair by way of the wind. Whenever Dubois had an issue, he asked his mother what to do. He'd stand over her grave with his head bowed, hat in hand, talking like she were right beside him. His mother's ghost had told him the divorce was a blessing and that he was better off. She told him where to find the Miller boy when he'd been hiding and not been kidnapped after all. She'd also told him to stop eating so many donuts, the only advice he failed to use. 
But this morning, she hadn't been there. He'd driven into the cemetery, parked his squad car by her tree, and walked the hill to her tombstone, feeling scared. The sky was ugly, the wind was too loud, and the grass was wet and sticky. He'd stared hard at her name on the stone, speaking aloud about the awful things that visited him in his sleep, asking her what they meant and if he was okay. No voice had answered. Instead, Dubois' own words just echoed through the graveyard, his mouth wet with syrup, his teeth stinging with sugar. He'd left the graveyard more upset than when he'd come, which was a first. Now, he boiled at the sight of the jailhouse and the disarray the boys had left it in after a night of whooping it up over some stupid football game. Dubois hated sports. He couldn't understand their rules. He walked over to his desk and sat down, throwing his gun onto the spreadsheet calendar covering its top. He sighed and read over the blank days of this month. A toilet flushed and the bathroom door kicked open. Dusty Springfield, deputy to no one, tough as shit, and pretty as a girl, came walking out into the office. He whistled along with the radio while tucking in his uniform and buckling his holster belt. A cowboy half the size of Texas pushed down to his ears. Sheriff, he said with the tip of his hat. Springfield was smart, and he was honest, but he was too cool. He never really talked, and when he did, he was always right. For this reason, no one minded his silence. The deputy stepped over to the wall and pulled a rifle from the gun rack, checking its sights before starting to load it with a snort at each bullet. He finished loading the first and put it back, picking up the next gun along the wall and doing the same inspection of its barrel and loading process. Springfield was probably the only responsible man on the force. The other idiots had likely emptied each one of those guns into the sky after whatever team they liked had won whatever game they'd played. There were bags of potato chips everywhere. For a few minutes, Dubois sat staring off while Springfield reloaded all the guns. I had a dream last night, Dubois said finally, still staring off at nothing. Is that so? Springfield replied not remotely in the form of a question. Violent shit, Dusty, the sheriff said, almost to himself. Gore and bone, white light and heat, darkness, earthworms, blood. Nightmares, Springfield said with a shrug, picking up a magazine and flipping through it without expression. It was a pornographic magazine, but Springfield had seen enough real naked women to remain unimpressed by the models and their flexibility. He dropped it in a wastebasket and started picking up empty cans and bottles. I asked my mom about it, Dubois said shyly. What'd she tell you, Springfield asked. That's just it, Dubois said with his face twitching. She didn't say nothing. Makes me worried that I ain't woke up yet, that I'm still in that nightmare. Feels as such. The two men looked around the torn apart room letting the strange thought take effect. Springfield pulled off his hat and fanned the stale smell of beer from his nose. Dubois picked up his gun 
and fidgeted with it in his lap, nervously. His own hat sat atop his lamp. It seemed to look at him judgmentally. There's a phone line unplugged over yonder, Dubois said, nodding across the room to a corner by the front doors, where one of his lousy deputies had dismantled the phone line, likely in an attempt to fix the cable reception. Springfield stomped over to the cord and plugged it back in. In an instant, the sound of the radio was drowned out by every phone in the office ringing off the hook in a swarm of uncomfortable bells. Dubois flinched and ducked his head at the noise. Springfield only casually stepped over to the stereo and flipped it off. Then he walked around the ping-pong table to his own desk and picked up his phone, speaking into the receiver in a voice fit for singing. Sheriff's office, he said. As he said this, the other phones stopped ringing. They only had one line, but all the boys had their own desk phones to avoid sharing or getting up. Dubois looked up at Springfield, trying to listen. The deputy tucked the phone to his shoulder and snorted. In his regular manner, he let the other end do the talking while he took down a few notes with a pen. He scribbled down a line, then another two, but then barked in order. Quiet down, Springfield shouted into the phone. He tucked the phone to his neck again and turned, rolling his eyes at Dubois and spinning his finger at his empty ear in a gesture suggesting that what he was hearing was crazy talk. Hold up, Springfield said. He cupped his hand over the mouthpiece and whispered to Dubois. Sheriff, you better take this one. She's talking a mile a minute. I can't make out half the shit that's coming out of her mouth. Who is it? It's Wendy. Who? Wendy Montgomery. Who? Springfield stomped his boot heel and put his fist to his hip, staring at the sheriff like he were dumber than shit. The whore, boss. The town whore. Wendy Montgomery was technically a waitress. It was only the local law enforcement and a few politicians that knew where her real income came from. Oh, good-looking, Wendy, Dubois said in a raised voice. His confusion was brought on by there being several girls named Wendy in town. Wendy Montgomery only got this flattering moniker by default. Dubois picked up the phone at his desk to the sound of hysteria and crying. Her voice was static and thick. She shouted and screamed. There was also wind, as if she were sprinting down a hill with the phone to her ear. Mrs. Montgomery, this is Sheriff Arlene Dubois with the Nottingham County Sheriff's Office. Can you state your name for the record? Springfield was still holding the other line, listening to his boss and looking across the room at him like his words were childlike gibberish. He rolled his eyes and stomped again in frustration. Dubois noticed this but gave him no regard, attempting to go on in routine fashion whether his deputy agreed or not. For fuck's sake, Arnie, Springfield shouted. Can't you tell she's terrified? What if she's being chased again? Talk some fucking sense into her and stop yammering on with your facto crap. Dubois glared up at him. He hated being called Arnie. And he was the boss, goddammit. But again, like always, Springfield was completely right. 
Wendy, the sheriff said calmly into the phone. Wendy, slow down and talk to me. Tell me what's going on. Where are you? Static popped and hissed from the other end. Sheriff, Wendy cried. Sheriff, you gotta come help me. Help. Calm down there, young lady. Tell me where you are and what's going on. The noises rattled, swirling and crashing. Dubois thought she might have thrown the phone or dropped it. Then the line went dead silent and beeped off. Dumbly, Dubois shook his own receiver as if that might do something. He spotted Springfield watching him do this. The deputy shook his head. Dubois hung up the phone and looked at his deputy wearily, knowing he'd not handled that as well as he should have. Sounded bad, Dubois said. Think she'll call back? Springfield sucked in his cheek, deciding it would not be best to call his commanding officer a fucking moron. Unlikely, he said instead. We ought to go up there quick and check it out. Make sure she ain't hurt as bad as she sounded. Where? Dubois asked. Metro Motel, Springfield said, putting on his jacket and taking down a rifle. How do you know that's where she was? Dubois asked, confused. Springfield picked up the slip of paper he'd scribbled the few lines on and handed it to the sheriff. It said, 1.37 p.m., Metro Motel, 886-782-1119. What is all this? Dubois asked, squinting to read the tiny writing. It's the information on the caller ID, boss, Springfield said pointing to the thin, light-up strip above the buttons on Dubois' phone. Despite all his years on the force and the countless hands-on encounters with criminal activity in the field, Sheriff Arlene Dubois would never be as good of a cop as his deputy, Dusty Springfield. And it was the cruel irony of the world that also made the boy much better looking. Dubois took the note and pocketed it, embarrassed as he rose and gathered his own hat and coat. Springfield handed him his rifle, and in a quiet hurry, the two men shuffled through the debris on the floor and ran out the door towards Springfield's truck. The deputy was also a much better driver. The sheriff didn't have to ask who would do the driving. Springfield let the decision come naturally, pulling out his keys and jumping down the steps. He sprinted to his jeep, and started it with a scream, whipping it around the parking lot with squealing tires and skidding it sideways to the curb at Dubois' feet. Reluctant to thank the deputy for not making him walk his fat old ass the length of the parking lot, the sheriff instead just opened the passenger door and climbed in like a bull trying to put on jeans. Springfield reached across the seat and helped Dubois pulling him up and in by his belt loops. Once settled, the jeep now at a heavy lean to the passenger side, Springfield hit the siren and took off over the grass, crossing through the yards, playgrounds, and ball fields before running every red light along the main road out of town.